Hi, I'm Heather Reisman, and this is Well Said, a podcast on the art and science of living well. This podcast is brought to you by Indigo. My guest today hardly needs an introduction. She's a media icon who's been in the public eye for decades. You might know her as the co-founder of Huffington Post, but Ariana Huffington has many more credits to her name. She is the founder and CEO of the burnout fighting company Thrive Global and the author of 15 books. Her latest is The Sleep Revolution, Transforming Your Life One Night at a Time. Sleep makes us better at hustling, better at achieving, better at everything we want to succeed in. In it, she combines her personal experiences with burnout and wellness with leading-edge science to explore how better sleep can help us become healthier, happier, and more productive people. I am delighted to welcome Ariana Huffington to our show. Thank you so much, Heather. Really great to be with you. You come from the ultimate hustle-bustle culture, not only of CEOs, but in a media company, where it's almost a badge of honor to get as little sleep as possible. What's it like to be advocating for the opposite, for more sleep? Well, Heather, the most important thing to realize is that actually sleep makes us better at hustling, better at achieving, better at everything we want to succeed in. And that's the most important mindset shift that we need. Because going back to the first industrial revolution, when we started revering machines and after that software, where the goal is to uh, minimize downtime, right? We talk about this piece of software or that having 99.999% uptime. But for the human operating system, downtime is not a bug, it's a feature. (laughs) That's a great line. Downtime is not a bug, it's a feature. We need that whole cultural mindset shift before we can really convince people that this is not a trade-off. You don't have to decide that either I'm going to be incredibly productive and operate at peak performance, or I'm going to take care of myself and sleep and recharge. The two things are interconnected. How did you come to make this realization? How did you come to prioritize sleep in your life? The hard way. (laughs) I made every mistake in the book. I uh, was in my 50s when I collapsed from burnout, sleep deprivation, exhaustion, broke my cheekbone on the way down. And that was the beginning of this journey I've been on to recognize that what I was suffering was not just my problem, that it's truly a global epidemic. In fact, the World Health Organization pre-pandemic acknowledged a burnout as an occupational hazard, leading to many problems both within companies and our individual lives. And now, of course, post-pandemic, the importance of sleep has become even more urgent, both to protect our immune system and our mental health. So you've been on this journey now, I guess, about five years? Yeah, well, it's four years since I, I launched thrive and left the Huffington Post. But you know, what is funny, Heather, is that after my collapse in 2007, 
I launched a dedicated sleep section at the Huffington Post. And it was very premature in terms of where the world was. I remember my board complaining because they couldn't understand what is a sleep section doing in the middle of a political site. (laughs) Are you feeling that the emerging science on the relationship between sleep and our overall health is in fact accelerating our understanding of the important role of sleep in our lives? Absolutely. I've seen enormous progress. When I launched the sleep section, you would never have an article on sleep in the Wall Street Journal or the Harvard Business Review. Now, you do all the time. And there was an article in the Harvard Business Review that in another age would have been like Saturday Night Live. The headline was sleep and its importance for leadership. Where are we on our journey of understanding the role of sleep? Are we just sort of, is this information just sort of beginning to seep into our understanding? Or do you find that people really do understand that they have to embrace it? So I actually think we are very far on the curve of recognizing the importance of sleep. But we are not at all far in knowing what to do about it. Because I know that the questions I get have changed dramatically even since 2016 when The Sleep Revolution, my book on sleep, came out. Now the question I get is, I know sleep is important. How do I get it? And especially during the pandemic, as you know, Heather, if there's even a new word coined, coronasomnia, of people who can't sleep because of the anxiety around the pandemic, around the uncertainty of the future. And so the intensity around the importance of sleep has grown. Knowing what to do about it has not yet. Okay, I want to come back to the pandemic specifically, but let's stick with this, knowing what to do about it. What are you sharing about the habits around sleep that you have come to say are important and that you think others would benefit from understanding? Well, our thrive, you know, our app is divided into four journeys. And the first journey is all about sleep because it's so foundational. So everything is broken down into micro steps. The key to a good night's sleep is to recognize that we need a transition to sleep. Uh, We've lost the transition. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you go back, if anybody listening who has children goes back to how you prepare your children for sleep, Mm -hmm. there is a whole ritual, right? You give them a bath, you sing them a lullaby, you read them good night moon. You don't just plunk them in bed and expect them to go to sleep. You need to help them disengage from the day. Good Night Moon is a profoundly important book. We literally have to say good night to all our projects and problems of the day. And so in the transition, we recommend you start with declaring an end to the day. The truth is that we don't have an end to our working day. We could stay up all night texting, emailing, 
or frankly, losing ourselves down the rabbit holes of social media or binge watching Netflix, whatever. There are are endless distractions. So we need to put an end to that and start small. I mean, my transition is 30 minutes, but you know what? Start at five minutes. The most important thing is to start somewhere and you declare an end to the working day by turning off your phone and charging it outside your bedroom. Again, human beings learn through ritual. I love this idea of a ritual and recognizing we do it for our kids. There's so many things we do for kids that we then lose somehow as the kids get older and as we get older. I love the ritual of turning off, that our brains are no different than children's brains. They're revved up and you're saying you need to unrev. Then a hot shower or a hot bath. And remember, it's not for cleanliness. Mm -hmm. It's for washing away the day. You know, I I love reading about sleep temples in Egypt when, you know, sleep was a profoundly spiritual experience you prepared for. And washing away the day was a big part of the ritual. And your brain literally begins to slow down (laughs) in a hot shower or a hot bath And then I'm a big believer, as I know you are, Heather, in dedicated sleepwear. A lot of us just tend to sleep in the same T-shirt we go to the gym in. Not literally, but even if you sleep in T-shirts, find a T-shirt that you don't wear to the gym. So your brain doesn't get uh, mixed signals. And then getting into bed and reading real books. And there is something about reading a real book, not on the iPad, not on the cover, you know, just a physical book. And the the whole idea that you may just begin to get drowsy and you let the book drop to the floor and you don't care about it crashing. And the final part of this transition is around gratitude, you know, ending the day with three things you're grateful for, so that you give the final scene of the play, if you want, to something good. The truth is that our days are a mixture, right? Even the most blessed days are a mixture of good things and not so good things. So where our thoughts go before we drop off to sleep matters in terms of really surrendering to sleep and letting go of the day. In this podcast, we actually look at the art and science of living well. And I feel with these four micro steps, what you've given us is a bit of the art. So thank you for that. How do you feel about wearable devices that actually help us measure our sleep quality? Well, I'm wearing my aura ring. Just for the audience, the aura ring is a piece of wearable technology that gives you insight on the quality and quantity of your sleep every night, including detailed data on your sleep stages. I'm curious, Ariana, do you find that having the data influences any aspect of your sleep rituals? Yes. And I try not to use it to judge myself (laughs) because, you know, uh, self-judgments are the hardest thing when we start on a new behavior change. And I find, as you know, Heather, that I do prioritize my sleep. So 95% of the time I get the sleep I need, which for me is eight hours. And we'll talk about that in a minute. On the days when something happens, I have to get 
up exceptionally early as I had to today. <laughs> it's good to look at what my sleep data is and to recognize the impact on me in many ways. The impact isn't just physically on how tired you are. It's also emotionally. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to realize. I know my own experience with measurement is it does remind me of what's important. Uh, That is getting to bed at the same time and preferably before midnight, which doesn't sound like a very exciting life, but it means we prioritize sleep over something else. And what do you do to prioritize? And what's your routine? When do you wind down? Well, first of all, what you said is key, before midnight. I'm not good at going to bed the same time, but I'm relentless about going to sleep before midnight. And that really works for me. The other thing that I mentioned earlier is to see where each one of us is in the spectrum that sleep scientists tell us is what we need. As you know, Heather, what sleep scientists are in agreement over is that unless you have a genetic mutation, and one to one and a half percent of the population does, in which case you don't need a lot of sleep, Mm The vast majority of us need seven to nine hours. Now, I'm an eight-hour girl. Each one of us needs to find where we are. Let's talk about the link between sleep and our brains. Neuroscientists are making it very clear that there's a direct connection between cumulative sleep deficits and cognitive decline. We also know that the younger we take sleep seriously, the better we can protect against cognitive decline. Can you talk about how your own research and reporting has addressed this? Yes, it's an incredibly important part of understanding this explosion of uh, cognitive diseases like dementia and Alzheimer's. Basically, sleep is the only time we can clean up our brain from all the toxins that accumulate during the day. Indeed, uh, one of the sleep scientists I quote in my book called sleep like a dishwashing process. You know, imagine how it literally cleans up the brain. And if you don't go through all the cycles of sleep, all these proteins accumulate in the brain, these toxic amyloid proteins from all the toxins of the day. And uh, the thing that's very important to recognize, Heather, is that we need to complete all the cycles of sleep. Talk to us about the cycles of sleep. As I understand it from your book, we experience cycles which include light sleep, REM or dream sleep, which gets rid of the toxins, and then deep sleep, which is restorative. Can you expand on this for us? What brings it home is the metaphor of doing the laundry. Like you could put the laundry in the laundry machine and say, hey, you know, I'm kind of in a hurry. I'll take it out 15 minutes early. It just doesn't work. You end up with wet and dirty laundry. So I think our brain has the same functionality. You need to go through all the cycles. And we know from ourselves how we feel. Like when we've had a really good restorative night's sleep and when we haven't. The most important thing we have control over is how long we sleep. And in a way, we don't have control over that. We just have control over how long we stay in bed. But if we have a good transition to sleep, 
we are more likely to get the sleep we need. I mean, if you look at your aura ring, sometimes you will have been in bed for over nine hours, but only got eight hours of sleep. I think what I'm hearing you say is if we do prioritize sleep and we do give ourselves a transition and we are in bed before midnight, and so we have the opportunity to have somewhere between seven, eight hours that we need, and we do those all those things that give us the downtime, you're saying the chances are much greater that we will complete the cycles and wake up refreshed. Exactly. Absolutely. Perfectly expressed. I want to add that a good night's sleep begins the day before. It's not just the transition to sleep. It's also, what did we do during the day? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The latest neuroscience shows that it takes 60 to 90 seconds to course correct from stress, which is, if you think of it, an incredibly optimistic finding. Because while stress is unavoidable, cumulative stress is avoidable. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing to know that in 60 seconds, we can actually let go of the cortisol stress hormone from the body and move from the sympathetic part of our nervous system, which is the fight or flight response, to the parasympathetic. If we allow stress to become cumulative, by the end of the day, we are going to do certain things (laughs) that are going to make it harder to sleep. We may stress it. Comfort foods like sugary foods, highly processed foods is going to make it harder to sleep. Mm -hmm. If we can leave a gap, ideally doctors say three hours between dinner and sleep, but start with 30 minutes, whatever, leave a gap, it makes a difference. The whole idea of a nightcap is a complete myth. A nightcap may help you go to sleep, but it's going to wake you up in the middle of the night with a dry mouth. (laughs) You know, these things are so valuable. And what I've learned since you inspired me to take this seriously is as we understand each of these things, it becomes a deliberate choice to change some patterns. And then it becomes as automatic as brushing our teeth. One of the things I just learned is how valuable it is after we finish dinner when we're so tempted to just kind of veg out and turn on the TV, to go and walk for 15 minutes. And that that 15 minutes of moving around lowers the level of insulin in our system and sets us up for those rituals of going to sleep. But I know for sure, once it's the pattern, it's not difficult. Now, given how much you know, and you have changed, do you find it, it's just part of the way you live your life for most nights? Absolutely. But what I think is so important is to recognize that the way to bring about these changes is through micro steps. Otherwise, it seems overwhelming. As you know, Heather, we call our micro steps too small to fail. (laughs) Like break it down to something achievable. Like if walking for 15 minutes after dinner seems too much, start with five minutes. Start with 60 seconds. It doesn't matter. Once you start, you build a muscle of success and it makes all the difference to achieving big results. It's time to rethink what rest means. 
With Casper's amazing sleep products and affordable prices, more people than ever have been getting the sleep they deserve. Reset your rest with Casper mattresses, pillows, sheets, and more. Available at indigo.ca. How do women's sleep requirements change and how are they different than men's, if at all? So, well, first of all, women's sleep requirements change when they become mothers. Every mother listening here must have some memories of uh, endless sleep deprivation when they have a newborn. And uh, even though fathers are more and more involved, it still falls predominantly on the mother. And we highly recommend that parents, whether it's mothers and fathers or same-sex couples, don't try to both be up at the same time. (laughs) I hear so often from couples saying, you know, my wife is up, so I'm up to support her. No. Ideally, if you have a couch or another room, don't even be in the same room. Take turns. The truth is that taking turns and sleeping is the most important thing you can do for your relationship. If you are both sleep deprived, you will want to kill each other. So trust me, this is not an example of love. No matter how much we've said and no matter how much progress we've made, women still carry most of the mental load of uh, taking care for the family, no matter how big their job is. And it's the mental load that makes the difference. We have partnered with Eve Rotsky. I don't know if you've read her book, Fair Play, but it's all about how can you have a more equitable distribution of the chores. And her model is from conception to execution. Mm -hmm. Right now, the model is more, can I help you with lunch? No, I want you to own lunch. So let's say I own lunch. It means you don't have to think about lunch. You own the birthday party. You don't have to think about it. That mental load makes it harder to disconnect and go to sleep. What do you think the pandemic has done to the level of stress we're experiencing? And how are you thinking about the way we're going to work our way through this or past this? So the pandemic, first of all, has put a magnifying glass on pre-existing crises. Like we had a mental health crisis before the pandemic. We had a crisis of skyrocketing rates of chronic diseases like hypertension or diabetes, which are all connected to sleep and how we lead our lives and how we work. So the pandemic, by increasing the stress and anxiety around our lives, has also given us an opportunity to rethink how we work and live. And that's, for me, the biggest silver lining, that as we've had this forced pause We all, both individually and collectively, have looked at what is it that we really love and value about our lives? And what is it that we want to leave behind? It's almost like Marie condoing our lives. And this is not in any way to minimize, Heather, the extraordinary pain that the pandemic has inflicted, you know, loss of loved ones, financial losses, job losses. But in the middle of all these losses, we have an opportunity to rebuild something new. 
And I think what I hear you saying is we can take that idea for ourselves if we can be conscious and intentional about it. It doesn't, as you say, minimize the enormous challenge that people are facing and the reality of the level of that stress, but that the beginning, the micro steps out are to use this time to reimagine how we want to live. Absolutely. And that's the one thing that makes me optimistic in the middle of these incredible challenges. What is the connection between sleep and mental health? Huge. I mean, sleep deprivation is at the heart of so many of our mental health problems. And each one of us can testify to that. The more sleep deprived I am, the more affected I am by everything bad that happens. You know how the days when you're feeling fully recharged, it's like, bring it on, whatever challenge, I can handle it. The days when I'm exhausted, the slightest thing can throw me off. So magnify that, plus all the other things that are concomitant. If you're sleep deprived, you are going to crave bad sugars and bad carbs. Nothing to do with willpower. Biologically, you crave them. And that also has an impact on our mental health. If you're sleep deprived, your immune system is compromised. So you are more likely to get sick. That affects our mental health. You are more likely to be reactive and pick fights. You know, it's like such a cascading list of things happening that affect our mental health. Which brings us full circle back to if you can do those micro steps all the way through the day and tonight, you have a huge opportunity. So inspiring. All right, just for some fun, what are you reading right now? So I want to mention this book that I absolutely love by Bruce Feiler called Transition. Mm-hmm. He talked even before the pandemic about transitions in people's lives that change their lives. It could be having an accident, getting divorced, often challenging transitions. And his book became all that more important during the pandemic because here we are going through a collective transition, all of us together, but also people are going through individual transitions. And transitions are times when everything we described earlier about pausing and looking at your life and seeing what you want to keep, what you want to discard are incredibly important. Final question that I would love to know, what does purposeful living mean to you? So for me, purposeful living is a combination of getting to know and understand myself better so that I can have a bigger impact. I think the two things are connected. I feel that the more self-knowledge I have, and all the great Greeks told us, know thyself, the more impact I can have. And, uh, you know, I was 70 in July, Heather, and the older I get, the more for me, purposeful living is about making a difference. And that's what is so incredibly fulfilling in my life. What a beautiful answer. So inspiring. 
Ariana, it is always a treat to talk with you, but today exceeded my expectations. I will say that. Just joyful. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Heather. I loved every minute. Thank you for joining us for this conversation with the ever-inspiring Ariana Huffington. For more ideas to help you live well, including the book featured in this episode, The Sleep Revolution, visit indigo.ca slash podcast. It's time to rethink what rest means. With Casper's amazing sleep products and affordable prices, more people than ever have been getting the sleep they deserve. Reset your rest with Casper mattresses, pillows, sheets, and more. Available at indigo.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Well Said was produced for Indigo Inc. by Vocal Fry Studios and is hosted by me, Heather Reisman. The information provided in this podcast should not be relied upon by our listeners as medical advice, even where it has been presented by physicians or medical practitioners. Any information presented in this podcast is not, nor is it intended to be, a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The views expressed throughout this podcast represent the views of the guests and do not necessarily represent the views of Indigo. 